The following Sunday School session is part of our study of the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. As we all know, we're going through the I Ams uh, that Jesus uh, says in John, the book of the Gospel of John. I think we're limited it to John, or is that right? Or you're allowed to go outside of okay. John. I mean, there are some cross references. Okay, so this is the verse that we're going to eventually get to today. Uh, would somebody like to read that for me, please? Uh, Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst." Thank you. Um, we'll eventually get to that. We got to do some introduction a little bit. Uh, so this entire chapter 6 of the Gospel of John is basically about two things. It's about eating bread and believing into eternal life. Or is it? We'll find out. <laughs> um, and it's all presented in the shadow of the Passover, which uh, John mentions in verse 4 that uh, it was near the Passover when all this happened. So uh, John records three Passovers in the Gospel of John. This is the second one. Second of three. <clears throat> um, we're going to learn that Jesus. We're going to learn that Jesus had a habit of piggybacking. I think that's a good word on the Jewish institutions and feasts to make the point that they foreshadowed him. Jesus was the one who cast his shadow all over the Old Testament, and we see that as the New Testament writers interpret things from the Old Testament. <clears throat> Uh, someone would like to read that for me, please. Jesus said to the men on the way to Emmaus, You foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So all the scriptures we know at that point were the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying here that all the Old Testament is referring to to him. It's, pointing, it's all pointing to him. We have another verse. Uh, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. So that's a common theme in this chapter that we're going to go through here, by the way. Now, this is around the, the, the Passover, like I said. And there's the... Uh, Passover feast and the feast of unleavened bread and first fruits. And so this happens in the month of Nisan, which is the first month in the calendar year of the Hebrew calendar. It's somewhere in March and April of our year. You see the other feasts, tabernacles. Today, we're over here in Kislev. Um, I have an Apple Watch, and I've got mine set to show me the Hebrew calendar, which is kind of cool. I'm trying to learn it. <laughs> So it shows me all the moons and, and all of that stuff. So it's kind of cool. I, didn't, I could also do Chinese calendar to show me the moons, but doing the Hebrew one. Um, since we're going to talk about Passover a little bit, or this is in the shadow of the Passover, I thought I'd bring up the verses that are talking about the Passover. Jim, would you mind reading that for us, please? Can you see that? Yeah. <clears throat> now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. 
throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly, and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them, except that you must be, uh, you must be eaten by beat. Eaten? Except what must be eaten. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> except what? Oh, except what must be eaten by every person. <laughs> that whole That alone may be prepared by you. So you're only allowed to fix your food. That's the only work that you're allowed to do. So that's the first part of it. Would somebody like to read the second part for me? Please, Ed, maybe. Sure, I have my glasses on, so okay, finally good. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> you shall also observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. And therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. So this is all about the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it's all connected to Passover. All right? Now... The Exodus happened in the year 1533 B.C. in the first month on the 15th day of the month. So they're celebrating this, right? They're remembering this. Um, The feeding of the 5,000 happened around the time of Passover in 29 A.D. And that's in John 6, 4, that Passover was near. So then, again, this was Nisan, the first month of of the Hebrew year, our April. By the way, Stop me and ask me any questions. Contradict me. It's fine. Just so you know. Uh, This means that by this time, the Jews have been commemorating Passover for 1,561 years. That's a long time to commemorate something. You know, we celebrate the 4th of July, but it's like only been a couple hundred years. Now, these guys were at this for 50, and they still, to this day, 2,000 years later, they still celebrate this. So they've been celebrating this for a very, very long time. Uh, would somebody like to read that for me? Here we go. Okay. Why did God want his people to remember the Exodus so carefully? Because it was his supreme old covenant demonstration of deliverance. And he wanted his people to trust him as a delivering God. It was no accident that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration spoke about his Christ's departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. It was 
eternal promised land, the home of the Father? Uh, despotism is like uh, like a, you have a, like an emperor or a dictator or somebody that's just like ruling over people, you know, just running their lives. And, okay. and that's what they were suffering in Egypt. They had the pharaoh. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So they were suffering from this despotism. And so, and when Moses uh, freed them from that, and God, Moses and God freed them from that, they, 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 got, uh, they, got, they got free from that, that slavery. But, and then that was the great deliverance of the Old Testament. But then Jesus comes along, and he delivers us from bondage to sin itself, and then gives us eternal life. And they were looking forward to an earthly land, but um, God has promised us a land that's a city that's built without hands, a future city. He's promised us heaven, and this is the home of the Father. So, um, and this is from uh, D.K. Stewart. That make sense? Okay. Now, you might be wondering where I got the, the timelines in 1533. This little book, I gave this to, I gave one to Ed. Uh, this is a very good book. I really love this book. It gives, uh, it actually uses the Bible itself to determine the Bible chronology of time. So you're not relying on any archaeologist or anybody, any so-called scientist or, or whatever that out there to come up with the actual dates of the Old Testament. It, it actually uses the Bible. It goes through all the verses, starting with Adam, and adds everything up and does the math, and you come up with the days. If you'd like to take a picture of that with your phone or something, you know, I highly recommend this book. It's a really good book. There's my uh, advertisement for the day. Philip Morrow <coughs> thanks you. Yeah. So who does he say Pharaoh was in the Exodus? Philip? Who does he say Pharaoh, the Pharaoh was in the Exodus? I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. So, but it, the book is about the chronology, so it gets everything from the Bible. So it's it's not based on any outside sources whatsoever. That's why I really like it. Now we were talking earlier about unleavened bread. Leaven refers to yeast spores, right? Uh, these spores are all around us. We're probably breathing them in right now. Okay. <laughs> Leaven also refers to the starter dough or the mother that's used to make bread. Anybody here like to bake bread? You? I like it when my wife bakes bread. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, like I like baking bread too. I, 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 have you ever done sourdough bread? Yeah. Okay, so what, what's that? Use a bread maker. Use a bread maker, <laughs> right, right? But you use to make sourdough. You start with the mother, right? Now the way I've tried making a mother, and the way you make a mother is to create a mother dough. You mix up some water and flour in a jar. And you leave the mixture out with the lid off. And the wild yeast spores that are all around us fall into the jar and they begin to do their work on the flour. And that's how you, over time, you end up with a mother. There are actually mothers used for sourdough that are hundreds of years old, maybe even thousands of years old, that people are still using. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ed. Uh, do you leave the jar outside to get those spores? Or can you no, you leave, leave it in the, the kitchen. You leave it in the house. Yes. Okay. And one thing that I just learned, and I think I know now why my other mother didn't turn out right. Not my real mom, but the mother <laughs> didn't turn out right. Sorry, Mom. Um, is that I had some other bread in the house, like that we bought at the store. Uh, 
and that bread gives off, you know, like yeast spores or whatever. And, and it's, it's, com it's, con it's uh, commercial yeast, right? So it's not the wild yeast spores. And I think it fell in and contaminated my yeast and messed it up. Or messed up my mother, so I had to throw I had to throw my mother away. <laughs> so, <laughs> it didn't work out. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's a little little bit on unleavened. All right. Um, so why unleavened bread for this feast? That's a question for you guys. Why do you think this feast is unleavened bread? Yeah. Two reasons. One, uh, when the Israelites were told to leave Egypt, they didn't have time to let the bread rise and go through that whole process. So they made unleavened bread, flat bread, because of that. But the, the analogy is that sin gets into everything, and leaven is representative of the sin. That's very good. Why don't you read that for me? <clears throat> Eating it at, at the memorial feast intentionally recalled the original departure in haste. Eating it for a solid week tended to fix the idea in one's conscience. The answer, once again, relates to the way actions indicate faith. God had declared that the action of smearing blood on the door frames was the sign of faith. He would accept in order to avoid death in the household. In a household. Now he declared that eating the Passover with its special non-yeasted bread was the sign of faith that in indicated a person was keeping the Passover as a believer. Uh, again, this is D.K. Stewart. So, again, what you said, plus the analogy that you brought up, I think is all is all tied into that. As I mentioned before, this chapter is all about eating bread and believing unto eternal life. Uh, bread, or loaves, is mentioned 21 times in this chapter. Manna... In just this chapter? Just chapter 6. I counted them, like, three times to make sure I got it right. Manna which is bread from heaven, is mentioned two additional times. So you got bread mentioned 23 times in this chapter. Uh, believe, or some form of believe, is mentioned nine times in this chapter. Life or eternal life uh, are mentioned 12 times in this chapter. So this is kind of the theme of the chapter. Uh, Jesus uses a metaphor of bread and manna coming down from heaven to teach them, and ultimately us, lessons of who he really is, where he came from, and what he offers to believers. So he's using this whole idea of Passover, the Feast of um, Unleavened Bread, and the feeding of the 5,000, and all this stuff to all kind of ties together to teach us who he really is, teach us what he's trying, trying to tell us. The goal is to generate belief in those that the Father has given to him and also to sift out those who Jesus already knew wouldn't believe. Yes? I think we fail to understand the importance of this because for one reason or another we're not as familiar with the Old Testament as we ought to. Some churches had traditions that didn't pay attention to it. But when you showed that they had done that 1,500 and something times, it made me think, this was part and parcel of their lives. It was. From the moment they're born, they do all these things. And Every year they did it. A 30-year-old man would have done this 30 times. Every year they did it. And, and somebody at some point in their life probably asked, why do we do these things? Why do we keep doing these things? <laughs> Thousands of people showed up in Jerusalem yeah. for this. They were sleeping everywhere. <laughs> you know, There was no really room for them. They were sleeping everywhere. Well, that's, that's part of the Passover ceremony. The young son stands up and, and they ask why, do, why this, why this. 
and then they give the answer to that. Yeah. So it's a question and answer kind of a thing in the Passover. Now that's the Passover celebration today, but it's different from the Passover celebration back then because they would sacrifice lamb and the, a lamb, and they would eat that lamb. So they leave out, that's part of it, but they leave out the, the, the sacrifice of lamb because they can't do that right now. They haven't been able to do that for almost 2,000 years. Yes. So, um, yeah, so that, God has been teaching them all this time. And then the Lamb of God shows up. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And they don't recognize him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so that was all introduction. We're going to do the outline of the chapter. Around Passover, Jesus goes to the area around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus performs the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish. And there was a basket of leftovers for each of the 12 disciples. They each got a basket. I've been certain. There was 12 <laughs> leftovers. I mean, he started out with five loaves, and he fed over five. I mean, this is just the men, 5,000. Right. So over 1,000 times multiplication of those loaves. Maybe 2,000, maybe 3,000. We don't know. But definitely a miracle. Um, Jesus performs the miracles of walking on the water, calming the wind, having <coughs> Peter walk on the water, and then teleporting, teleporting the boat to the land. Long before Star Trek ever showed up. Okay. <laughs> then he got into the boat. Then he get, this is from uh, Mark, and this is interesting. This is from Mark six fifty one and fifty two. Would somebody read that for me? Jim, can you got that one? Sure. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not uh, not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their hearts, their heart was hardened. This is about the disciples. Mm-hmm. Here they got this extra basket of food. You know, they just saw him walk on the water. They saw Peter walk on the water. You know, and they were astonished that he was doing this because they I, still didn't understand who he was. No, well, not completely. Not completely. They do, call, they do call him the Son of God. They do. Yeah, they're they're starting to get it, and we see it, glimpses of it. They're starting to get it, but even after he was, even while he was on the cross, they didn't get it. So. We do any better? No, yeah. no, not okay. at all, not at all. I'm not, I'm not putting us above them at all. We have the benefit of history between yeah. us and them. And the indwelling spirit. Yeah, and then the last thing is, I think Jesus teaches his, teaches the people and his disciples. And then the last thing is, Peter finally starts to understand and confesses his slash their belief in the Holy One of God. That's way down in verse 69. So but Jesus is teaching them and then bringing. <coughs> Bringing their understanding to them. Okay, so this is Jesus begins to teach the people. Jesus starts out by chiding the people. He comes over, you know, they, they see, they see. well, there's only one boat here. We know he was on the other side, you know. They ask him, how did, how did you get here? Kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're like, something's weird, right? How did you get here? We know, we know you were over there. And we know there's only one boat. How did you get here? So Jesus start, and they, they, they're there. They want more of the bread. That's what they want, right? Jesus starts out by chiding the people, saying they only sought him out to fill their bellies. Verse 26. And here's from Jesus. Somebody want to read that for me? Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God has set his seal. 
So he tells them that. And then this is a response from the peeps. Yeah. It's really similar to what he said to the woman at the well. It is. If you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for this water, and it's the, the water of eternal life. You're never going to be thirsty again. And what did she Very say similar. to him? You don't even give have me, to. Give me this water. Well, yeah. Right? She yeah. Says, you don't commands have him, give me this water. <laughs> right? It's hot. It's a lot of work coming to get it over here. Water is eight pounds per gallon. This is a lot of work. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. We need plumbing or something. You know, she, she, she was like, oh, yeah, I'll take that water. So the peeps, what shall we what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Mm. So he's, they recognize that Jesus says there's something that they need to do. And they're going, okay, well, what is this work that we need to do? So people recognize that Jesus was saying he had a requirement for them. They would do God's requirement if he would inform them what it was. They believed that they could please God and thus obtain eternal life by doing good works. Mm. Yeah, well, Reference Romans 10, 2-4. Now we know you can't do good works to please God. It's all about faith. Just like putting the blood on the doorpost, just like eating the Passover, it's all by faith. But they don't get that. They weren't, it wasn't getting into them. This is a similar question from the rich young ruler. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You guys remember that, right? And he walked away sad. He didn't like the answer he got. Jesus, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he's starting to talk about faith. He's starting talk about believe in him. You think you'd have to do something to please God. That's not, that's not the, the way it works. So they asked a question, what must we do? And he answers, this is the work of God. Is he yeah. saying, this is the work God wants for you to do? Or is he saying, this is what God does? I believe that's what he's saying. This is what God does. That's what I thought, too. I mean, relative to everything else you read in the New Testament, from Paul and all that, then I believe that this is God's work that he does. One man plants, another man waters, but it's God that brings the increase. Amen. So I believe that Jesus is saying, this is the work of God, that you may believe in him who may have sinned. So then the peeps say, then show us a sign that we may believe. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. They, they know the boat wasn't it. They don't know how he got there. Yeah. They, right? They, they ate of the bread, right? Out in the wilderness, right? Yeah. Where there was no bread to get it. Right? Which is similar, if you think about it, to what Moses said when they were in the wilderness. How am I going to feed all these people? Yeah. Right? How are we going to feed all these people? Our fathers, and so what they what did they do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven. So they want him to show them a sign. And they want him to show them a sign that it appears that the people are comparing the feeding of the 5,000 to Moses feeding the Israelites manna for 40 years. So they're kind of going, hey, you fed us for one day, one meal, mm-hmm. Right? Moses fed the people for 40 years, manna from heaven. Mm-hmm. So they're making a comparison between Jesus and Moses, right? So do you think they were saying, if we're going to believe you're better than Moses, you got to do this all the time? Like well, I think they were also still trying to fill their bellies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, they're still working that angle, I think. Yeah. But I think that's what you're saying exactly right, that they're looking for something greater than Moses. Mm-hmm. 
So what does Jesus say? Somebody read that for me, please. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Yeah, so it wasn't Moses that gave him the bread out of heaven. Right. It wasn't Moses that parted the Red Sea. Right. Right. I mean, he held out a staff and, you know, God parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. And God told him what to do. And God told him what to do, right? Jesus doesn't worry about walking across dry land. He just walks on top of the water, Mm. right? He's greater than Moses, Mm. right? So Jesus is saying that that the, the true bread out of heaven is me. I have come down to give life to the world. And we're going to talk about this life a little bit later on when we get to it. And what do the peeps do? At all times, give us this bread. Now this, is, this, is a, this give is in the imperative. It's a command. They're commanding Jesus, give us this bread. We want this bread. Break out the bread. Right. <laughs> so, what is the question? What is the main disconnect that's going on here? What's the main disconnect? Well, they're they're thinking temporally, and uh, Jesus is speaking spiritually. So they're thinking figuratively, I mean, excuse me, literally. Yeah. And Jesus is speaking in a spiritual sense or a figurative sense, right? The real, the real reality. The real reality, right? Yeah. But he's using this bread and all this. Talk as a metaphor for something that's spiritual, which brings up a really important point. As we study the scriptures, it's important for us to make sure that we understand that we, we read the Bible literally. Okay, what does that mean, literally? Does it mean literally, like the word, everything has to be literal, or do we use it, we read it literally, as in this is poetry, we have to take it as poetry. This is analogy, we have to take it as an analogy. We let scripture interpret scripture. That's the best way to interpret, in my opinion, the Bible. You let the, the Bible tell us what the Bible means. So we go to the Old Testament. We find something that we don't quite understand in the New Testament. It may be figurative of something that happened in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament can explain that to us. So it's really important as we study our Bibles to know what kind of literature we're reading and apply the rules of that literature. So here, they're not applying. They're just going off, hey, we want the bread. That was really good bread. (laughs) They're being hyper-literal. They're being hyper-literal, and Jesus is not even talking about that. right? He's talking about something else. And it it goes right over. So they're making wrong decisions and asking wrong questions based on their misinterpretation of what he's saying. Mm. And we have a tendency to do that, too. And I'm just pointing out we have to be careful when we do that as we study Okay. Anybody want to read that? Manna took on messianic connotations in later Jewish thought. The manna that stopped falling when the Israelites entered the promised land would fall again in the messianic age. According to the two apocalypse of Baruch 29.8, which I'm assuming is uh, the, what you call it, that's the apocryphal. Yeah, it's yeah. apocryphal literature. It's non-biblical, right. extra-biblical literature. The treasury of manna will come down again from on high, and they will eat of it in those years, because these are they who have arrived at the consummation of time. 
commenting on Ecclesiastes uh, 1.9. There is nothing new under the sun. Rabbi Isaac was quoted as saying that the latter redeemer would cause the manna to fall just as the former redeemer, Moses, caused the manna to descend. Okay, so this, when he talked about the later Jewish thought, this is the intertestamental times between, you know, when the Old Testament stopped and when Jesus came. So there's what? 400 years in between there? Well, the Old Testament writings. Stopped. Writings stopped, right. So the rabbis and everything, they, you know, they did a bunch of teaching, and this is the thought that they came to <laughs> that's saying the man is going to come down from heaven again. So the people have been taught all these things. This is what they're expecting. Mm. They're expecting the Messiah when he comes to bring down manna from heaven. So this mm -hmm. is one of the thoughts that's in their mind. Yeah. Externals again. Yes. Externals. They're always focusing on the external. Kind of explains why they're asking for more bread. That's why they're asking. Yeah. They, 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 they recognize, hey, this guy's probably the prophet. We don't know, but yeah, it kind of fits the bill. I mean, he came at the right time. You know, he did the miracle. He's starting to do these miracles, and it kind of... They're trying to put it together, but they've got all this other stuff in the way that's probably inhibiting it. Uh, Moses, the powerful leader of the Jewish people who performed wondrous signs for them, who guided them from slavery to freedom through, through the walls of water, who fed them with manna in the desert and gave them drink, who saw God face to face on the mountain of Sinai and was their mediator in giving of the law. This Moses, for John, the, the writer will be superseded and replaced by the person of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. This is, uh, both of these are from Gail Yee. Anybody here familiar with the Internet Archive? It's like a library on the Internet. Hmm. The Internet Archive, remember that. You can go, I went, I saw this reference when I was looking on some of my Laga stuff. I saw a reference to this guy, this book, Jewish Feast of the Gospel in John. And so I thought, I wonder if the Internet Ar Archive has it. It does. So you can go in there to the Internet Archive, and for free, you can check out any book they have for like an hour. And then you check it back in. So there's a vast wealth of Christian books out there on the Internet Archive that you can look at. Mm -hmm. And you can't print it out, and you can't copy, you know, the, uh, can't copy the, the text and paste it in. But what I did was I just took a screenshot of the text that I wanted, Saved it as a PDF and then went to the OCR place on the, on the internet yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it converted it to text and I pasted it in there. I didn't type it all in. So I know it's a rabbit trail, but I'll tell you, you have a, a recording function within PowerPoint and Word. If you hit record and read that aloud, it will write it down. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, but uh, this is a really handy thing. So there's tons of books out there mm -hmm. on the Internet Archive. It's like a library. Is it Christian books, Eugene? Only? It's everything. Everything, okay. Yeah, it's everything. So who is this ye? Are these Targum? Are these rabbis that are writing? No, you can actually buy this book on... on oh, uh, so it's a current... Uh, yeah, on Amazon, you know, for 13 bucks, or you can go here and get it for free. <laughs> so, you know... Did you have a question? No, I'm sorry. I thought I, I, saw you. I, thought I you raised your hand. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. It's a really good reference... Internet Archive. Okay. The people wanted Jesus to do what Moses did. Give them manna. Verses uh, 30 and 31. But Jesus helped the people realize that the ultimate source of manna was not Moses, but the Father. Verse 32. Mm -hmm. Then he identified himself as the Father's true bread. Verse 35. 
Jesus contrasts Moses' manna, which was life-sustaining but not life-giving. That's a really important point. He, that manna sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness, right? Every day they had to eat, you know? That's what that manna did. But it was not life-giving. It sustained them. He is the true bread, which is life-giving and permanently satisfying. Amen. Hughes, uh, R.B. Hughes and uh, J.C. Lang, 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 excuse me. That's a really important point, I think. Reminded me of Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He provides permanent satisfaction. Did you have a comment? Oh, anybody? Jesus, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So all of that to get to this verse. Okay, this is verse 35. It was the one we started off with at the beginning. Okay, here he says, I am. Here's the Greek. Uh, Ego eimi. I am the bread of life. That's what this first part says. So I am the you don't need the ego in the Greek. You are, it's already included in the verb, but he puts it in there and it adds emphasis. It's also at the first part of the sentence, which also adds emphasis. So he says, I am the bread of life. He who, he who comes to me, comes to me, to me. Now, this right here, this is an ume. This is not, that's not. So it's a double negative. Right? It's not not. So if I say I'm not not going to the store in English, I'm going to the store, right? <laughs> I am going to the store. In Greek, I'm not not going to the store. I'm really not going to the store. <laughs> right? For sure. But then, if you put it with this verb, this, this type of verb, you see this little ending on here? That's an aorist subjunctive verb. If you put this with this, then I'm saying it's impossible that I'm going to the store. That's impossible. That's the emphasis of that. So I'm going to explain. I've explained this a little bit more uh, before in the past. Emphatic negation. That's what this is. Emphatic negation is indicated by ume plus the aorist subjunctive, or less frequently ume plus the future indicative. Again, this is how the form that the verb is in. Okay. Matthew in, and that's in Matthew 26:35. Mark 13, 31, John 4, 14, and here, 6, 35. This is the strongest way to negate something in Greek. <clears throat> One might, th- and this is a little technical, but I'll explain it to you. One might think that the negative with the subjunctive could not be as strong as the negative with the indicative. <laughs> the indicative is reality. When I'm speaking, I'm speaking as though it's reality. The subjunctive is like less than that. So I can say, I am rich, and that could be my reality. Uh, I would be rich, that's more like subjunct, and that's in the subjunctive. It's something that I want, but it's not really the truth. You know, it's not really the whole truth. So he's saying, you would think the subjunctive would be less powerful than the indicative, or the the indicative, the subjunctive would be less powerful than the indicative. However, while U plus the indicative denies a certainty, U may plus the subjunctive, Denies a potentiality. That means it's never going to happen. So 
think this is never going to happen. Mm. The negative is not weaker. Rather, the affirmation that is being negatived is less firm with the subjective. Ume rules out even the idea as being a possibility. <laughs> That's how strong this is saying in the Greek. Ume is the most decisive way of negativing something in the future. <laughs> That's a weird word. <laughs> I hope I'm saying it right. Emphatic negation is found primarily in the reported sayings of Jesus, both in the Gospels and in the Apocalypse, secondarily in quotations from the LXX, now that is the Septuagint, or the Septuagint, depending on how you want to pronounce it, that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay. Outside of these two sources, it occurs only rarely, as well as the teleological theme is frequently found in such statements, especially in John. What is negatived is the possibility of the loss of salvation. Amen. So soteriological has to do with salvation. All right. So that's the theme. That's a big theme in John. And he's saying what is negative is the possibility of lost salvation. Now this is from D.B. Wallace, Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics. Very good book. <clears throat> so I actually have over here. I forgot to bring it out. I actually went in my Logos software and I did a search for all the verses that fall into uh, this category where it's uh, either ume plus an era subjective or ume plus a future indicative. And this is the list. So um, I was going to print them out and give them to you, but our ink is low. So I'm going to put my email down here later on. If you email me, I'll send it to you. This is a really fascinating list of verses. It's very powerful. So here are some of my favorites from that list. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. It is impossible that they will perish, is what he's saying. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 28. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It is impossible that they will die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty six. These are very strong, powerful statements. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. He will never take our sins into account. Romans 8, 4, 8. This is from Paul. Very powerful stuff. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. So if you're carrying out the... Oh, excuse me. If you are carrying out the desires of the flesh, guess what? You're not walking by the Spirit. It's that powerful. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will never remember their sins. Hmm. Hebrews 8.12. Those are fantastic promises that God gives us in the Scriptures. And the Greek, if you know the Greek behind it, it takes it from being like a little black and white TV in the 50s to those giant screen TVs, you know. It, it really brings out the, the meaning. Um, and of course, my, me, anybody who knows me loves, I know I love eschatology, so I have to throw these in, so please bear with me. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke, 31, Luke 21. But whenever they persecute you in one city... Flee to the next. For truly I say to you, 
you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Um, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and they will repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. According to my research, there are only 75 such verses in the New Testament. Out of a total of 7,956 verses, this is less than 1%, 0.94, I calculated, 0.9426 of all verses in the New Testament. So it's a special um, construction, but it has very powerful meanings. So here's my email. If you want to take a picture of that or write it down, if you're interested, email me, and I'll send you a copy of that list. I really enjoy that list. Okay, man, we're running out of time. Bread of life. We're going to talk about life. There are three Greek words for life in the Bible. Bios, the life of the physical body. We get our English word biology from this word. Okay, suke, the life of the human soul, mind, emotion, and will. We get our English word psychology from this word. It's Greek. Pardon me? I'm just thinking of, of the old man in the fat Greek wedding. Everything comes from Greek, right? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it does. It really yeah. does. Now, Zoe does it, but can, can mean physical life. can also mean the life of God or Christ. That's from BDAG. For just as the Father has life in himself, Zoe, right? Even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. This is a special kind of life. This is the life of God. And this is the life that God offers us. He offers us this God life. This life with him. Zoe is often associated with eternal life as evidence in this chapter. In the sense of the eternal life of God given to believers. Uh, verse 27, 40, 47, 51, 54, 58, and 68. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Zoe, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. We do not get this life unless God gives it to us. This is God's gift to us, this eternal life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son of God and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise them up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has this eternal life, Zoe life. Jesus, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, right? They ate that manna, but they all eventually died. He who eats this bread will live forever. And it's that Zoe life, that gift from God. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Guess what construction that's in. <laughs> that's, no way, not never. Yeah, never. 
I will never cast you out. This is another verse that's on that list, and it's in this chapter. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Now, it's not in the same construction, but it's still very negative. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Okay. Thinking about Moses and all this. Moses gave them manna and drink to sustain God's chosen people in the wilderness. Moses came down from the mountain. Remember, he went up to the mountain, met God face to face, and he comes down from the mountain to do the will of God. Jesus came down from heaven to do the will of God by redeeming all those that God had given him. He will lose none of them. Jesus is the true bread who conquered death. He gives all those that believe in him life, eternal life. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday School session on the I Am Statements of Jesus. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.